0: Hey, this is Paul Conner, pastor of City Baptist Church here in Vancouver. And I want to welcome you to our sermon podcast and just say thank you so much for joining us today. You know, it's our mission to help you find and follow Jesus. And we pray that the message encourages and inspires you today. Today's message is from our brand new series, Renew. And as we begin this new year together, we're going to be focusing in on Romans chapter 12 and discover the power that is found in renewing our hearts and minds through Jesus and his unchanging word. Let's get into today's message. Well, let's take our Bibles today and let's get right into the message. We're going to be in Romans chapter number 12 today as we continue our series called Renew, as we just take a few weeks and we set it aside at the beginning of the year to focus on renewal from Romans chapter number 12. Now, so far already, we've covered the first two verses of that uh, of that chapter. And for many of you, if you've been in church before, you've heard those verses used as a support for the motivation behind living for Jesus Christ. And you know how important that is. So I want to begin today by reading those two verses because what we're going to do as we continue through the chapter is build off of what we've already learned in Romans chapter 12 and verse number one and verse number two. So let's read it together there in verse number one. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice. And not only should it be a living sacrifice, but holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he says this, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good? acceptable and perfect will of God. You see, the truly surrendered life is going to result in a dramatic transformation of our pursuit, of our perception, and our purpose as we navigate through this world that we live. And for us, our willingness to surrender ourselves to God and our willingness to allow him to transform us is key to us finding out and pursuing the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. But the thing that we have to know is that the transformation of our lives, okay? So the transformation that we talked about in our last message is not just limited to our own individuality, and it's not just limited to your own personal pursuits. The transformation that happens within all of us and uh, in our hearts and in our minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, of course, we know it is is the Holy Spirit that does the work of transformation. What it does is that it will naturally lead us away from ourselves And it will lead us to the things that uh, God loves, which, of course, are his children, the body of Christ, the church, and, of course, our fellow believers. Now, um, all of the knowledge that we've gained so far from those first two verses, like I mentioned, are foundational to the next steps that are going to be laid out for us in the passage that we are going to cover today. And as we've already seen in this chapter, there is a progressive uh, element. And I don't want you to miss out on that. Maybe put that in the chat, right? Type in progressive element. So I know that you're you're listening to this, but there is a progressive element to where we'll be that builds on where we have come from. So today's message is building upon what we've already covered. And the reason that he builds in this way is that it begins to show us and develop for us a very clear picture of God's design for the Christian. Now, uh, a week ago was uh, Miles' birthday and our second son, Miles, he turned nine and uh, we're so excited to celebrate that with him. But one of the things about Miles that he loves so much is he loves Lego. Maybe some of you watching today, you love Lego. And so for his birthday, we decided to get him a Lego set and specifically we got him a plane. So I've got Miles here with me today. So come on up here, Miles, and we're going to show everybody this plane uh, that you built. And uh, hopefully you can see that there and I'll hold it up there. And man, look at that. uh, Look at that plane. That's pretty amazing. So Miles, how many pieces uh, are were in this Lego set? 660. 660 pieces. Now that's pretty incredible, actually. I don't think I've ever built something that big. And you can see, I mean, it's like two feet long. This is a massive plane. But Miles, it took you, how, how many days do you think it took you to build this? Four. Four or three days, it took him quite a bit. And it seemed like when I'd come home from work, you know, he'd be sitting there. We had a table that we set up just for him to build this set. And it actually comes with uh, what it came with, like a control tower, and cars. There's actually a car inside this right now, all the different people and stuff. And it's a pretty amazing thing that he did. Now, the thing about Lego is, if you've ever built Lego before, ho- hopefully you have. If you haven't, uh, maybe you say, I've never built a Lego in my life. Maybe you should order one on Amazon, right? Not right now, later after the service and give it a try. It's, a, it's something to try for sure. But the thing about Lego and Miles, you know, this is that you can't just start anywhere, right? You can't just pour out the bag and just start sticking things together. You got to follow the instructions. And more importantly to the instructions, you also need to uh, start at the foundation and build up from there. Now, what's so interesting about Lego is that sometimes when you're building from the foundation and you're following the instructions, sometimes the pieces that you're putting together don't even make sense at the time. But in the end, what you get is you get this amazing looking plane or house or whatever it is that you build. And Miles, I'm impressed. I just got to say, I'm impressed. And so if you're, uh, if you're impressed why don't you go ahead and, uh, and put, uh, say, hey, I'm impressed in the chat right there. Miles had asked before he came up, he said, dad, can we have a, uh, can we have a soundtrack of people cheering when I come up there? And so we, we don't have any soundtracks today, but we do have some clappers. So why don't you guys give Miles a hand on his way out? Thanks, Miles. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. And uh, man, he did a great job. So here, here's my point, all right? Here's the point that I'm trying to get across to us. And the point is this, um, as we build on the foundations that God has revealed to Paul, and then he's revealed to us through the Holy Spirit. As we build on the foundations of personal surrender, as well as the transforming work of God in our lives, something happens in us, and we begin to develop and begin to see a clear picture then of God's desire for the local church. The transition that happens from personal surrender and transformation to then living it out in service to the Lord is what we see in these next six verses that we are going to cover today. And what I want to do for us is we're going to Reveal and see in this passage three more areas of renewal that can be found and that are built off of the foundations of verses one and verses two. So let's go ahead with point number one today. We're gonna to see the first thing that is renewed based off of uh, verses one and two that we've studied already, and you can go catch up in that series, is that we see a renewal of humility, a renewal of humility. Look with me at verse number three of Romans chapter 12. He says, for I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, here's the key phrase, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. The key phrase there is to not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Now Paul gets right to the core of what it means to serve God. And the way that he does it is by addressing the single greatest deterrent to serving God, which is our own prideful view of ourselves. Now, I recognize whenever we see a challenge in scripture about our pride, the first thing that we do is is we say, I am not proud, (laughs) or I'm not as proud as my wife, or I'm not as proud as this person that I know. Or we say, you know, in our own hearts, well, I'm the most humble person in this room, you know, and we humble brag on ourselves a little bit. But what we have to remember here is that when Paul is speaking to us about pride, he is coming to us as an ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if God told him to write every man among you, which means every person that is, uh, that is reading this, then he really meant that every single person needs to be reminded of the truth that he is teaching us here. Now, pride is a subject that is covered extensively throughout scripture. It is talked about quite a bit. I just want to refresh your memory on a couple of things. First of all, Solomon said in Proverbs 29, 23, that a man's pride shall bring him low. A man's pride will bring him low, and uh, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Uh, the apostle Peter, who's someone, who is someone that we have, would have assumed uh, struggled with pride just by his testimony and some of the way that he lived his life and the actions he took, he said this in uh, 1 Peter 5.5, 5, Likewise, the younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. And then he says, "Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility." What a, what a visual there of being clothed with humility." And then he says, "God, for God, resisteth the proud, but He giveth grace to the humble." The truth is this, is that if we have a proper opinion of ourselves, we must have a proper opinion of ourselves and a proper opinion of others. Now, in theory, that sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Uh, In theory, we say, well, yeah, that's what we all should do. We should all view each other and view ourselves in the right and the uh, proper ways. But the problem is, and the danger is, is that we often make two mistakes when it comes to that. First of all, many of us overestimate our own importance. (laughs) We overestimate our own importance. And then secondly, the problem is, is that people sometimes go to the other extreme and then they depreciate themselves to the point of false humility. A lot of us have been around people like that, and you know they have this this air of humility, but it's really false, and it's based off of an improper view of themselves and of others, and so we need to be people who are aware of our opinions, both of the opinion of ourself and the opinion of others, and we need to strive to live, as the verse says, in a sober manner, which that means to have a sound mind that is devoid of pride whatsoever. To live soberly is to have a sound mind without the distraction Of pride. What a blessing it would be to not have the distraction of pride in our lives. Man, that's something that that I struggle with so much myself, and I know many of us do. Uh, Actually, I'd say all of us struggle in that area. It'd be great to live life without the distraction, and we need to continually work uh, at removing that from our lives. But to be honest and to live soberly means this. It means to appraise ourselves, appraise ourselves in the light of God's love and our brokenness. Now, if you can take those two things, God's great love for you, undeserving love for you, and if you understand our brokenness and our sinful nature, if you can understand those two things, it will really help you to keep your view of yourself and your view of others in the right place. See, if you really know your sinfulness and brokenness, it'll keep you humble because you recognize that I don't deserve anything from God. At the same time, if you recognize the love of God and how vast and immeasurable it is, you then can also show love and see love, God's love in the lives of other people as well. And helps you have that right view. One commentator put it this way. I just want to sort of put it uh, clearly. He said this, he said, if we are proud, we cannot exercise our faith and gifts to benefit others. If we're proud, we cannot exercise them in that way. And if we consider ourselves worthless, we also withhold what God intended to deliver to others through us. Now, now to look at life and look at ourselves in this way can be very, very challenging. I understand that. Pride and uh, self-misunderstanding is very difficult to navigate. We are prone to doing exactly what Paul warns us against, of thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. But we must have clarity, and we must evaluate ourselves and others with clarity, and it's necessary for us, If we are going to continue on these building blocks of renewal and if we're going to see that develop and grow within us. And so there needs to be, first of all, he says here, if you're going to serve the Lord and you're going to really make a difference, there has to be a renewal of humility. But then secondly, we see here in our passage, a renewal of unity, a renewal of unity. Look at with me at verse number four, he continues for as we have many members in one body and all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. See, humility and a proper view of other believers is so important because unity, okay, unity is what God desires for his children, and humility always precedes unity, And so you have to think about it. For a long time, uh, unity was surrounded around a national identity that God had used to set apart his people. But now here we are in the New Testament and God gives us this picture as a way to identify us and to understand the idea of unity. And he uses the picture of a body. And he uses this analogy, and and I believe he uses it in this way to show us the importance of each person and how we are stronger uh, when we are all together serving in the purpose and all functioning in the proper way that God would have us to function. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, this truth is emphasized in a really great way, and I've I've referenced it before, but basically what Paul does is he explains the idea in this way, and to me it's kind of funny because he talks about the hand and the eye and the ear, all sort of having a conversation with each other, and you probably are familiar with that passage, but they're sort of arguing, you know, over who's more important, and then Of course, Paul says, you know, if the whole body was an eye, where's the hearing? If the whole body was an ear, uh, where is the uh, uh, smelling? And uh, if the whole body is a hand and et cetera, he just keeps going. And he gives this funny little illustration uh, of them sort of arguing back and forth uh, with each other. But then he concludes it in verse number 18 of Romans chapter 12, where he says, but now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Now think about that for a minute. It is pleasing to God that you are a part of the body of Christ. For those of you that struggle sometimes with uh, personal self-worth and you saying, man, I don't even deserve to be saved. I have people say that to me. I don't deserve to be saved. Listen, if you are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and you are accepted and adopted into his family, then it is pleasing to God that you are there. It is pleasing to God that you are part uh, of the the family. And then in verse 19, it says, and if they were all one member, where were the body? (laughs) But now are many members. Yet but one body. Then in, uh, and I want you to look back again at verse number four and five, just to sort of connect the dots here, here uh, for us. Here's what I want you to understand. Listen, everyone is part of the body if you are saved. You are part of the body of Christ. And not only that, but you belong to each other. We belong to one another. We are part of the same body. There is unity there. But the other thing that we see in the passage is that we do not all have the same office. Did you notice that there? And that means function. So we're all part of it. We belong to one another, but not every one of us has the same function. And guess what? That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. And I think Paul illustrated that back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Regardless of the functions that God has given to us, his primary desire above all, thing, all all other things here is that we as Christians would be active and functioning in the ways that he has gifted us. That we would be working together as a church family to, uh, within our own God-given gifts, that we would not be criticizing, criticizing other people's gifts. We would not be lording our gifts over others and saying, well, my gift is better than your gift in the same way we wouldn't be desiring or jealous of other people people's gifts, but that we would recognize how God has created us and that we would just all function uh, in the role and in the, uh, in the place that he has put us within the body. And that is why a foundation of humility is so important, isn't it? You see how it's all connected here. It's so important that there's humility because um, when we can isolate our pride from who we are in Christ, it is possible then to be content. It is possible to flourish in how God has created us. Uh, Paul gave emphasis to this a little bit more in Ephesians, where he built the case for when a body is functioning prof- uh, properly, there is an effective, uh, sorry, an increase in effectiveness. I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter four and verse number 16. He said, for whom the whole body fitly joined together and it compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part. So here's what he's saying. All the parts working together, okay? All of them fitting in the right place. And then look what he says here. He says that it maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So when the body is working together, when the, the, the people of God are, are all unified in that uh, with humility and unified in their calling and their giftedness, then there is an increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. See, when we are fulfilling our role within the body that God has given to us, then it is for the health, it is for the increase, and it is for the encouragement of what God is trying to do with the body of believers, because God is trying to accomplish something with his people. We know that God works despite us, and I think that goes without saying, but to truly experience all that is possible uh, in the body, of course, we know that as being believers, then they must be working together in unity. They must be working together in unity. Now I've never been to the hospital before and met somebody who uh, had an illness uh, or somebody who maybe had um, a disability or some sort of an accident where part of their body was not working properly. I've never been to the hospital. And as I met with them that they talked about all the other areas of their body that were stronger because of the weakness of that one part of their body. I've never met anyone like this. A few years ago, uh, someone reached out to me and I had the opportunity uh, to meet someone who was a, a, a boxer. He was a Canadian a boxer, quite uh, well-known uh, actually. And uh, he was in a in a terrible um, uh, attack where he was shot. And the bullet severed his spinal cord and he lost the use of his legs. And I went to his place and had a chance to sit with him and and meet with him. And and uh, I, I know sometimes, uh, and one of the things that amazed me, I'll just say this, one of the things that amazed me about him is that he'd been in a wheelchair for, I don't know, six months to a year at that point. And I was just amazed at how strong his arms were, you know? Uh, if you're like me, when someone says, oh, you know, other parts of the body don't get stronger when other parts are weaker, you know, I'm like, well, what about those guys in wheelchairs? I mean, they're just so buff and they're so ripped, you know? Um, but why is that? Why are his arms so strong and, and so buff? Well, it's because his arms are working harder, aren't they? They're working more than they would have if his legs were still working properly. His arms are compensating for the part of his body that is injured. And though he may be very strong, here's what I want you to get. Though he may be very strong, the overall strength, the overall ability of his body is still disabled. And I'll tell you this, I've never met anyone who's been in a tragedy like that who would not give up a set of buff arms for a skinny pair of working legs. I've never met anyone like that. And I don't, I don't mean that to be unkind, but, but it's, it is the truth. If you've ever been a part of your life where you've had part of your body not working right, man, you just want that to be whole and you want it to be healthy. And it is keeping you from being fully used. But here's the point. Most churches, a lot of churches, honestly, are sometimes like that guy in the wheelchair with really buff arms. (laughs) Certain parts of the body are overworked. (laughs) And because they're overworked and because they're worked more than others, it may appear that they are strong, But the point is, is that the whole body of Christ is not truly fulfilling uh, its destiny. It's not as healthy and as impactful as it really should be. I've heard it described this way, you know, Christianity is not a spectator sport. Now, just this uh, past uh, well, last couple of weeks now, the NFL playoffs have been going on, and thankfully, my team, the Packers, won yesterday, and uh, I'm I'm just so blessed and thankful for that. Um, but uh, the thing about football, somebody described football this way: they described fifty thousand people in a stadium. This is before COVID. 50,000 people in a stadium in desperate need of exercise, watching 22 men in desperate need of rest. (laughs) And that you use that, they use that as a descriptor for the church. Oftentimes it's the majority standing around watching other people work. And it may seem like they're strong and it may seem that things are going well, but the fact is, is that we are not truly fulfilling, uh, the, 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 the capacity that God has for us. And, and, um, And so we need to learn then uh, through that humility to recognize the unity that's necessary through our partnership in the body of Christ. And it's only at that point that our giftedness can be effectively uh, uh, used and we can effectively appreciate one another's gifts. Now, I know at this point, some of you are probably wondering, well, what is my giftedness? Or I don't really have any gift in this. Or you're maybe asking the question, how do I even begin? I've been a spectator my whole life. I've just gone to church and I've gone home. I've never really gotten involved in being a part of the body of Christ. And I've just sort of been staying back and I'm a spectator here. Well, thankfully, Paul doesn't leave us guessing. And so what he does now is that building off of our renewed humility and our renewed unity and understanding of that, what Paul does is he then steps in and he gives us some spiritual gifts that God gives To the body of Christ. Some gifts that God gives to his people, members of the family of God, and of course, in our context today, we're talking about the local church as well. I want you to understand that these are spiritual gifts. These are things that are given to believers by God and empowered by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of serving the Lord and not ourselves. And so we come to our third point today, which is a renewal of service, a renewal of service. So we saw that humility is necessary. Unity is what builds off of humility. And now there's this renewal of service. Look back at verse number six with me of Romans chapter 12. I'm going to read just the first part here where he says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to to us. So right away, what does he do? He emphasizes the fact that spiritual gifts are a are a special ability that are given to the believer by God. Now the word their gifts is the word charisma. And you've probably heard that word before, of course, but what that means is that a favor that somebody uh receives without any merit of their own, meaning they didn't like just create this thing. You know, people that are are Charismatic, or people that are what we would maybe say they are electric—you know—when they walk into a room. That's not really necessarily something that you learn and develop. It's something that's sort of innate within their personality. And what he's saying here is that these are gifts that are given to us by God, and they're special abilities that we can't sort of conjure up on our own. The gift here, as he mentions, is from God. It is not a natural talent. Don't don't confuse like your talents. Um, with spiritual giftedness, are your are your talents a gift from God? Yes, they definitely are. But when it comes to this matter of spiritual gifts, these are things that God gives to us, and the Holy Spirit illuminates and empowers within us for the express purpose of serving the church, for serving the body. They are not things that are for you to serve yourself, just so you know. These are not self-serving things. Remember, humility is the base of everything. So these gifts are given to us to serve the church. Notice there in the verse as well, it says that they are gifts given according to the grace that is given to us, meaning these are things that come to us after we come to know the grace of God in our own lives personally. And one of the great things about being a Christian is that we receive within that, within our salvation, a heritage in Christ. And that heritage in Christ is an incredible privilege. It means that we have a special task to do on this earth. It means that we have a purpose, that we have a meaning, that we have a significance in life. And we are given those gifts to fulfill those tasks on this earth. And these are gifts that are given by God to His people, He gives the faith. He gives uh, He gives power as He will. Our role, our job as Christians, is simply to be faithful. And then seek ways to serve other people with the giftedness that God has given to us. Now, Paul's gonna mention a couple of gifts here and they fall into two different categories. The categories are speaking and serving. And they are given so that God's uh, will or God's grace would be expressed. For example, we could put it this way. See, words speak to our hearts and minds of God's grace. And I hope that you know that. Man, the word of God is filled with so many ways that we can understand and, and feel God's grace. But acts of service show that grace in action. So that's what he's, he's divides them into these two categories for, so that we understand, okay, there's words and there's uh, teaching and speaking that uh, speak to our hearts and our minds of God's grace, but then there's ways that we actually act it out and reveal God's grace to people all around us. So we're going to briefly look at these gifts of grace. And we're going to begin with the gifts of expounding the word of God in Romans chapter 12. Let's look at verse number six and verse number seven. If you're with me today, uh, could you just put in the chat, please, just right now, say, I'm with you, pastor. I'm there. I'm with you. I get where we're going. Great. All right. Romans chapter 12 and verse number six. He says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry verse 7 let us wait on our ministering or he that teacheth on our uh, on teaching or he that exhorteth on exhortation he that giveth let him do so with simplicity and he that ruleth with diligence he that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Well, let's break these gifts down so we can understand the ways and the different ways that God gives these to us. The first one that we see there is the gift of prophecy. Now, at the time of the writing of this book, there were still some who were receiving special revelations of God's truth. Of course, we know when Paul wrote this, he continued to write other books. John, uh, we know, wrote uh, the book of Revelation later on. And so those are special revelations that were given to those people. In revelations of God's truth, the giving of God's word in his entirety, what we call the canon of scripture, was not yet completed. And so there were some that had this gift that was given to them to uh, speak this uh, type of truth to people. But here's the thing we need to remember. It was tied to, specifically, it was tied to uh, the the transitional nature of the church. Remember the book of Acts was such a transitional book, right? And that gift of uh, telling of the future or future events was something that was there for. For that transitional time of God putting his hand and his power on the New Testament church as the new method for the gospel to go forth. But then from that point on, the prophet, what we would call a prophet in the New Testament is someone who is seldom seen predicting the future. Instead, what we see them doing is proclaiming the truth that Jesus Christ had already revealed uh, either to them or to his disciples. It is uh, them revealing, if they were to talk about future events, it was what Jesus Christ had revealed to them during his time of ministry. And so the function of the prophet then sort of changed into the person who is edifying, exhorting, and comforting. Now we get that from 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse number 3, where it says, He that prophesieth speaketh unto men to edification and exhortation and comfort. So there really uh, concisely, it tells us the idea of what a prophet is, which is uh, this, it's proclaiming the completed word of God. And church family, we have the completed word of God today. There is no need. In fact, Revelation warns, warns us specifically about people who add to the words that are given to us. And so we need to recognize that, that we have the word of God. And so what do we need to do? The modern day prophet is someone who's going to proclaim the truth to us, to us and they must uh, depend on God's grace to make it happen. And it is a spiritual gift that is given. And that spiritual gift, I believe, also comes along with a calling. As uh, Ted Tripp mentioned in his book, he called it a dangerous calling. Uh, somebody who has given their life to accurately proclaiming and, pro- and speaking uh, the word of God and edification, exhortation and comfort. So that's a spiritual gift that is given to some, definitely. The second one we see here is the gift of ministry or serving is is maybe another way that we would put it. It's the same word that we would use uh, for servant or a person who serves and ministers to others in a very practical way. What this means for us is that this spiritual gift is uh, a special ability to serve, to minister, to aid, to uh, help and assist others. It's, it's someone who can assist others in a way that they are built up and they are helped. It's a strengthening servant uh, serving of somebody else that gives them strength. And it's a very, very, very practical gift. Now, many of us know people who are this way. They're very willing and, and, and they're unusually gifted to help when a need is felt. And, and all of us, of course, can help out, by the way. And all of us can have elements of this. But there are some special believers that are gifted with that unique gift of ministry, that unique gift of serving one another. There are people who live out Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 10 that says, as we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them that are of the household of faith. What a great verse there in Galatians 6, where it says that we are to do good unto all men, especially to them that are of the household of faith. The third one that we see here, is spiritual giftedness is the gift of teaching. Now the spiritual gift of teaching is the ability to explain, to uh, uh, ground people in the truth of the word of God. You know, the, the, the word needs to be proclaimed and preached by the one with the gift of, of, of the prophet. But it's also then to be explained by the teacher. See, people must be guided and they must be rooted in all truths of the word of God, day by day and week by week and year by year. And that's what the teacher's task is. You know, normally for us on a Sunday morning like today, we're having a, a mixture of, of prophet and, uh, and of teaching. And that's typically what happens a lot of times in the pulpit. This can speak specifically about the emphasis on interpretation and illumination. It speaks of the idea of the the pastor teacher. Uh, But it's not just the pastor who has this gift. Many within the church have the gift Of teaching. That's why we emphasize it. That's why we're in a series right now on Wednesday nights of how to learn the Word of God. The purpose of it is so that we can share it with other people, having solid methods of observation, interpretation, and application, so we can seek, make the Word come alive, and share it with other people. I think of uh, Second Timothy chapter two and verse number two is the verse to go along with this. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same thing that you have learned, commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others. Also, it's the prophet, or the, the process of being able to uh, know the word, to teach the word so that others can then teach the word as well. And so that's a spiritual gift that is given. Not everyone has unique giftedness in that. That doesn't mean that we don't learn and that doesn't mean that we don't try to understand the word and work at it ourselves. We all have that element of personal devotion, but for the person who's gifted to stand and, and accurately and coherently teach the word of God, it can be a, a specific gift that is given and something that can be developed as well. The next gift that we see is the gift of exhortation. Exhortation. It is a very special ability. And man, it's an encouraging ability to excite, to motivate, to advise, to encourage, to comfort, and also to warn people. Uh, To me, in exhortation, the dominant factor uh, that you would see would be the motivation and the encouragement of the people of God. The ability to stir people up, first of all, to make a decision for Christ but also then to grow in him. This kind of person can encourage others to come to know the Lord as their savior and they can reveal the truth. But then within the church, they encourage believers to, uh, to grow and to develop and, and to uh, go to higher places for the, word of, uh, for the Lord and, and for the church. It's a gift that prompts people to get up and it prompts people to get busy fulfilling their task for the Lord. You know, Titus chapter two, I want to read this. Titus chapter two, verse 11, it says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our savior, Jesus Christ, verse 14, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak about, and notice this, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. All of those things in that verse proper living and, and expectation of Christ's return are things that we are to encourage and exhort people in that. Man, I find people who have this gift uh, so encouraging and life-giving uh, in my own heart. And I'm so thankful that I have some friends who have the gift of exhortation and how they just encourage me and, and build me up. And what the other thing I find about people who have this gift is they often don't recognize it in themselves. <laughs> they don't even know that they have it, but it's a gift that should be cherished and a gift, a gift that should be developed and a gift that should be thankful for, the gift of exhortation. Now we see, though, the gift of giving. The gift of giving. And this is a transitional gift. Like we talked about, these are of speaking and encouragement. Now these are ways that we express and outwardly show our giftedness and show the grace of God. Giving. And notice it says there, with simplicity. Now what this means is at its base level, this is the person that is willing to give of their earthly possessions, whether it's money or clothing or food, whatever it is, they are a person that's gifted uniquely with a heart to give to others. But then this one also has a descriptor. Like I mentioned, it says that they're to give, but with simplicity. So what does that mean? Well, what it talks about is the heart behind the giving. It's the idea of giving with sincerity, the idea of giving with a singleness of heart, giving without a heart uh, for show or for that others would notice. It is to live and to give liberally and generously with no expectation of return or no expectation of maybe control of a situation. They just say, I'm just going to give with simplicity. I'm going to give with a singleness of heart because I want to be a blessing and I want to be used of God for the work of God and for his people. Now, this gift is not limited to people with great wealth, just so you know. So if you were like, all right, great, I'm, I'm out. I'm not rich, so I don't have to have this. This gift. No, no. This gift is given to many people. Some of the most giving people I know on this earth are not overtly wealthy. They're not people that, uh, that are, you know, somehow just like out of control, wealthy, not very few of us know people that live in that realm, but maybe it is that they've been blessed and they recognize their blessing. And so they give in a very, very unique way. And they also give in the right way. They give without improper motives. Now, we are all, we know, commanded to give to the work of God. So I'm not, I, I want you to understand, this is not like, oh, if I have the gift, then I'll, then I'll give to the church. That's not how it works. We're all commanded to give in obedience to God, of course. Um, but I think one thing that can help us sort of have a little bit of uh, uh, just grounding in this matter of giving is to ask ourselves this question. Is not, how much should I give to God? But ask ourselves this question, how much of God's money do I need to keep for myself? <laughs> That's out of a different way of looking at it, isn't it? And I believe that people that have that gift of giving view life in that way. They don't think, I'm just going to get, I'm going to develop all of these things and I'm going to build this great amount of wealth. They think, well, how much do I need? How much can I uh, 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 use for myself? And I'm going to try to be a blessing uh, for God uh, with the rest of it. This isn't talking about being irresponsible or taking care of our responsibilities. We recognize that. But these people are unique in their gift of giving. First Corinthians 16, of course, reminds us that on the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. You know, most people look at the subject of giving as like, oh, I have to do this, or you know, God commands it, or I don't want to do what God is commanding. And so they either avoid it or they begrudging it. Listen, he says here, we are commanded, we're to give as God has prospered us. He's prospered us. Just because you live in Vancouver means you are a prosperous person. Did you know that? Just living in this city, living in the greater Vancouver area means you are wealthier than the vast majority of this world that we live in. And yet so often, what do we do? We just focus on building up our own empires, (laughs) building up our own wealth, focusing so much on, and we count every penny. And when it comes to God, we're just like, okay, I can maybe, I'll give God whatever's left over at the end of the month. No, no, God is very clear. We're to give Out of our own generosity, but we're also to give out of obedience and how he has prospered us. And there's other principles throughout scripture on where we should begin and where giving uh, should be. We know that. Um, But at its core, what is it? It means that we are to be faithful in this way. Just because giving may not be your spiritual gift, doesn't mean that we avoid the responsibility altogether. But certainly the gift of giving, the spiritual gift is a unique thing given by God. It's hard to explain. It's hard to explain when you meet a person and you know a person who has the gift of giving. It's amazing to understand just their heart. But that is something that is given uniquely to them by God. And if you're that kind of person, if you have that unique um, uh, blessing of the gift of giving and God's maybe even enabled you to give, can I encourage you, don't don't shy away from it. Be willing to serve God. Be willing to be a blessing for him Uh, in that way. Oftentimes we say God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. And that is oftentimes done through the hearts of those that have the gift, the spiritual gift of giving. The other one that we see here is of ruling. Now, I know you see the word rule, and you're like, oh, man, uh, you know, I want that one, right? I want to be the king. <laughs> but that's not what it necessarily means, all right? And notice how it also says ruling with diligence. Well, that is the ability of leadership is what it's talking about. Someone with the ability to uh, lead with authority, to have administration, uh, administrative skills. Sometimes we call this the gift of administration and notice that it says they're they're to lead with diligence well what does it mean by diligence that means somebody who has zeal who has a desire somebody who has a concentra- uh, concentrated attention meaning if you have the spiritual gift then you you need to be the kind of person that is not lazy <laughs> You cannot be complacent. You cannot be irresponsible in the kingdom of God and his church. Many people desire to have authority. Many people desire to be the leader, but they don't want to put the work in uh, with what that really means. They, they want to just, you know, lay on the couch, and then when it's time, I'm going to get up and I'm going to lead people just sort of uh, without being prepared and just sort of from a lazy way. No, no, God says uh, if you have this spiritual gift, then it's, it's a call to work is what it is. It's a call to uh, sacrifice. We know, we know in the church, of course, that God gives uh, the pastor to oversee the flock, we know that there are uh, deacons and and other leaders and elders within the church family uh, that assist the pastor and uh, give the church family, of course, and help lead the church family, sorry, into the path uh, that God has called them to. And re- the reality is, church, is that a church without leadership is not going anywhere, <laughs> And we need this spiritual gift within the church. And it's not just all to be dumped on the pastor. There's many people within the church that have this giftedness that need to exercise this gift of leadership, but it is with sacrifice. It is with hard work. And it's vital though, for the expansion of the ministry. First Peter chapter five, verses two through three talks about specifically the area of the pastor where he says to feed the flock of God, which is among you taking the oversight thereof. Not by constraint, but willingly. Not because, you know, like, hey, you're the leader now. Oh, man, I don't want to be the leader. (laughs) He's not with constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre. you know what that means? Not doing it for the money. By the way, most pastors, I don't know any pastors doing it for the money. I mean, there might be some out there, but that's not the purpose of it. But of a ready mind, meaning you're ready to go. Neither is being lords over God's heritage. You're like, you don't have the attitude of, all right, I'm going to abuse people now because of this. No, but being examples to the flock. The call to being a leader uh, means that you're going to be an example. You're going to be an example of what God has called you to. And so many people desire to be a leader, but they don't desire to be an example. And that's where it really comes comes together there in recognizing this spiritual gift. And if you have the gift of leadership, the gift of ruling, that is a blessing. And I would encourage you, if you have that, you need to exercise that within the local church. A lot of people find the spiritual gift of leadership helps them in the secular world. And and there is some truth to that, certainly. But to experience it in its fullest, it needs to be uh, put to work within the body of believers. Then finally, we come to the gift of mercy. The gift of mercy with cheerfulness. Now, this is a person that is full of compassion and full of forgiveness. This is somebody who has great kindness towards other people. But notice here that they're to be merciful, but with a cheerful heart. The Greek word is hilarotos, kind of like hilarious, is, is, is the, the word that is behind us. And that means that you have a kind and a joyful spirit about you. This person who uh, has the gift of mercy is not going to forgive others or help others grudgingly. Like, ah, I guess I better go over there and, you know, take care of things. They're, they're not hesitating. They don't hesitate when it comes to forgiving other people. Uh, they, um, They will not show mercy with an annoyed spirit, (laughs) with a heart of annoyance, or uh, show mercy with a spirit of criticism or rebuke towards the person who needs help. A person who has the spirit and the gift of mercy will show mercy with a cheerful and a joyful heart. They will do all that they can to lift up that person that needs mercy in that moment. They will reach out to those uh, in difficult times. What a blessing it is that sometimes uh, during a week, I'll have somebody from the church reach out to me or text me or call me and say, hey, I was thinking about this person Uh, God put this person on my heart and I want to help them. Are they doing okay? Is there something I can do? Man, that's a person with the gift of mercy, that they're willing to go beyond themselves and reach out to that person, how they can help. And that is a gift. And if you have that gift of mercy, man, what a blessing that is. And don't be afraid to use that. And don't be afraid to allow God to work in your heart, to minister to other people in that way. Jesus even said in Matthew 5, 7, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. See, church, these are all gifts that are given to the believer by God Himself. And they are gifts that need to be understood. And more importantly, these are gifts that need to be put into action within the local church. Don't forget that purpose there. Now, at the end of the message, so you got to stay with me. At the end of the message, after our time of reflection, I'm going to share with you, and in the chat, and there's a text that's going to go out, I'm going to share with you uh, and give you access to a resource that can help you know your spiritual gifts. We call it a spiritual gifts test. Now, many of you I know have already taken it, and I'm going to talk about it in just a minute here, but it's a resource for you to help you understand the giftedness that God has given to you. And the purpose of me sharing it with you is so that you can fully express God's love and God's grace to others through the giftedness that he has blessed you with. Listen, God loves the church. God loves the body of Christ, and God has given us all the instruction, and God has given us all the giftedness we need to reach our potential for the sake of the gospel. Please don't miss out on this, church. If you've kind of tuned me out for a while, come back to me right now. Listen, do not miss out on this. God has given us everything we need to fulfill his task and to fulfill his purpose. Sometimes the Great Commission seems overwhelming, doesn't it? It seems like, how in the world are we ever going to uh, accomplish what God wants us to accomplish? But I'm here to tell you that God has given us all that we need, and he's given it to us in you and in one another that are within the body, and he's given it so that we can accomplish all that he wants. But it all starts back with the idea of humility having a proper view of ourselves that leads us to unity and with humility and unity, that is the environment where our gifts can thrive and where our giftedness can have the greatest impact. Now, what an amazing thought this is today. What an amazing thought this is today that God would bless our church with everything we need to see lives changed and fulfill his calling in the community that he has led us to. Think about that for a minute. What a blessing that is that God has given that to us And so for us today, we need to recognize that God has gifted it to us, and we need to trust the fact that if he's called us and he's made us a part of the body, that he's got a purpose for us to move the gospel in the direction that he has given to us. And so today, my challenge for us is very simple. Let us be people that strive for unity. Strive for unity. Let's walk in humility, and then let's exercise our gifts for the glory of God in this city. Paul is giving us here some building blocks that we need to renew in our life to see God get the glory he deserves right here in our city and through our church. I want to ask you today, do you have a proper view of yourself and do you have a proper view of others? What do I mean by that? Do you have a humble spirit? Do you have a humble heart? Do you have a humble opinion of yourself and others? Are you a person that is striving for the unity of the body or are you holding back or are you causing disunity? Unity is something that God holds in such high regard and we need to strive for that as a church. And I would encourage you individually to be a person that strives for unity. And then I would ask you this, are you living in light of your giftedness? Are you exercising both your responsibilities uh, and your gifts that are given to you? If not, today's the day to repent of that and to get that right with the Lord and recommit yourself to living in light of the gifts that God has blessed you with. It's a wonderful place to be. It's a wonderful way to live. And it's, the, it's honestly how to live the fulfilled and abundant Christian life as John ten ten talks about. So this morning, as we have a time of reflection here in just a moment, I wanna encourage you to spend some time in prayer and ask yourself those, those questions. Say, am I living in this way? And let's together as a church, let's walk in humility, let's strive for unity, and then let's live out the gifts that God has given to us. I'm gonna pray, and then we'll have a time of reflection together. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. We really appreciate you joining in. You know, if today's sermon was a help to you, we'd ask that you maybe take a moment and just give us a quick rating on iTunes or Spotify or wherever it is that you're listening. That really does help get the word out and for other people to find our content as well as connect into the word of God, which is really most important thing to us. As well, we encourage you, if you want any more information about City Baptist in Vancouver, you can check out our website at citybaptist.ca or follow us on social media through Facebook and Instagram. Our prayer is that you would continue to walk and grow with Christ and we love you and we pray for you and we hope that you have a great rest of your day.